Today I want to take a minute uh, before we get started to let you know about something that's going on with our church, a vision that we've had for a building space. Um, it's also kind of a need that I need to uh, make you guys aware of. Um, as you know, the, the uh, thrift, made a new thrift shop, is up and going, and we've been doing that for several months now, four or five months, and that has been a success. Uh, there has been uh, an, enough money coming in to support the building to pay for the utilities, so that's what we were hoping for. And uh, more importantly, there have been an opportunity every day that that's open for folks to come in and for us to witness to them, give them the good news of Jesus, and to make relationships with our community. So that is doing well. Now, on the other side of that, the building that we have, um, we have a youth center. So I believe I have a picture up here. Now, um, the vision for this building is that, that there would be a thrift store on one side and the youth center on the other. Let me tell you what the vision for our youth center is. It's to, it's to provide a safe and supervised place for kids to hang out after school or after home games um, or to do things like to host uh, homeschool groups. Did you guys know that there, there are at least 11 kids, when I counted this morning in my mind, 11 kids currently in, in homeschool in our congregation? And that's just the, the school-age kids. There, there's another uh, five or six or more than that that will be coming up in those families to be doing homeschool. So we have a significant amount of homeschoolers in our congregation. So this, uh, this space could be utilized for that, homeschool co-ops, um, maybe uh, teaching life skills uh, classes to our community out of this other half of our building that we have downtown that used to be the doctor's office. Now, currently, though, and most urgently, what we need is an industrial strength, one-roomed, wide-open building that we can contain the youth in on Wednesday nights. So, most currently, since it's going to be dark earlier, uh, sooner, and it's going to be uh, cold and maybe snow and rain, we're not going to be able to play outside as much, and we're going to need a place to, to house the kids on Wednesday evenings, and I believe that this is the place that we need to have. Now, um, when, I talk, when, when I mentioned the industrial strength, one room, wide opening, what that, uh, what, what that defines is our new church. That's actually what we, what we really need and what, what was going to be good for our youth, uh, but we're working on that, and until that happens, I think we can utilize this area. So, for that to happen, let me tell you what kind of condition it is. And if, and if you haven't been there, I encourage you to go there, shop through the thrift store, and then look at the other side and, and what we have going on there. Currently, it is all cleared out, except for the few rooms in there. You can see the bathroom, and then the kitchen, and then there's, there is an, a utility room. And uh, we have a, a good heat and good air in there currently. But what we need to finish it up is we need the rest of the ceiling, uh, ceiling finished. Um, thank you, Ethan, for showing up. Ethan and Dad and I and, and Steve uh, Prescott showed up. Uh, we, we put the ceiling on, so we've got about half the ceiling on this youth center. We're just screwing tin up to the top. Um, we need to finish the rest of that. And we also need to finish the floor. There's some carpet there. We need to replace some, some of the uh, uh, carpet that's in patches, which we have some extras of those. 
and then we need to fill out the kitchen. I probably need to talk to somebody like Bev, who actually does the meals on Wednesday nights, what she needs, but I think we need a gas stove for the kitchen part, and we need to put some counters in there. And then after that's all done, the only thing that's left to do is to paint it. And it really doesn't even probably need painted. Um, we could meet in it anyway, but if there was a coat of paint on it, doesn't matter what color, um, you know, you can use your, uh, maybe the artist can paint some cool stuff on the sides, and then uh, we are ready to use it. We'd really love to have this thing done, um, and it doesn't have to be perfect, just just a, a rough and, and easy to take care of place. We'd really like to have this done in the next uh, month and a half. So if you have any time um, to donate, uh, to do any of these four things, then uh, talk to my dad and uh, like to get that done. Or you could come and help out on Wednesday nights to keep track of all the kids that are outside and inside and everywhere else and in the basement. That, that could work too. Uh, your choice, right? <laughs> so, uh, also, one more thing. The Children's Church, as Danny said, has been going through a program called The Greatest Journey. They've completed this program and so... We are going to celebrate that with them. There will be cupcakes or cookies and punch right after church, um, right after this message from Acts chapter 26. So let's pray, and we will get started. Father God, I thank you for this time to worship your name, to learn from your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will move among us and that we will be able to experience your powerful goodness through your word. Lord, we pray that we will be able to take this message to those in the community that aren't here today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we have been talking about Paul. And here we have Paul. Paul has presented his case through, uh, or before the Jewish folks, before Felix, and before Festus. These are two governors. First he gave his message to uh, to Felix. Can you guys turn off my monitors? Yeah. Okay. Through Felix. And then he presented it through Festus, to Festus. And they listened to his case. And now, after uh, Festus heard his case, it goes on to Caesar. Because Paul appealed to Caesar. Like Festus doesn't know, um, doesn't know what to do with Paul. Paul hasn't done anything that uh, can't be uh, disciplined by the government. He hasn't done anything that they can punish him for. And but if they release him, then the Jews will get him. And the Jews will certainly uh, put an end to Mr. Paul. So what does Festus do with, with Paul? Well, uh, his, buddy, uh, his buddy Agrippa is coming to town. This is a king. And uh, Festus is going to send, send Paul to Caesar. But before he sends Paul to Caesar, he has to have something to write to Caesar. What does he tell Caesar? He doesn't want to look like an idiot. Uh, we're just sending this guy. That, and we don't know what he's done wrong. There's nothing you can try him for, but we're sending him to you. And Caesar uh, doesn't want to waste his time on that. So conveniently, here comes King Agrippa and his sister Bernice. Last week we talked about uh, Felix and, and 
Felix remembered had a wife, and her name was Drusilla. What a name. So Drusilla's older sister is Bernice. And her older brother is Agrippa. And they come into town. Verse 23 of chapter 26 of Acts says that they come with great pomp. Pomp. What a word. What that means is a show of magnificence. Like, here comes the king and his sister Bernice. And they come, and they've got a bunch of people. They've got armed guards and a bunch of people coming down. It's like a parade coming into town. They're drawing lots of attention from everybody around. Everybody knows, here comes King Agrippa. What is going on? What's about to happen if the king's coming into town? Paul gets to share his testimony, his case, in front of a king. And everybody is listening. Everybody's watching to see what happens. But this is a big deal. Paul getting to share his testimony in front of King Agrippa. It's a big deal. Well, I mean, not, not that big of a deal. I mean, you know, Paul has been one-on-one with Jesus, right? With the king of all kings, the king of the universe. Paul's been a one-on-one with him, so King Agrippa... Eh, not so big of a deal. But being able to tell him about Jesus, now that's a big deal. Listen, folks, it doesn't matter who you are talking to about the good news in your Bible. It doesn't matter if it's your neighbor or if it's a, a, a poor child or if it's the President of the United States. It's a big deal. It doesn't matter who it is. If you get to share Jesus with them, it's a big deal. So Paul is excited about this. You know, being in Roman custody is surely no fun. But it's working awfully well for getting the good news publicized. For that, it's doing well. And so Paul goes before them, goes in front of them, And he has their attention. He gestures with his hand, the scripture says. Holds up his hand. To get their attention, I'm about to speak. You know, something interesting about that, I think that we'll come back to in a verse a little bit later on. He holds up his hand. And what is probably on his hands? Chain. He's in custody. He's probably chained, maybe hands to his feet. Later on we read that he is chained up. And he holds his hand out to get their attention. And surely they see a prisoner with chains on him. Why does he have these chains on him? And what is he going to tell us? A man who is in prison, bound by chains. And he says, he says to them, I was persecuting those who put their faith in Jesus. I was going from place to place, sending believers to prison, punishing them harshly. And one day, one day Paul says, I, I was on the road, 
And I was headed to find some more followers uh, of Jesus to persecute. And, and I was on my way, and all of a sudden, a light shone from heaven that was way brighter than the sun. Like, it was like noon. The scripture says it was noontime, and the light that came from heaven just uh, made the sun look pale, like a pastel. It was so bright. It's like way brighter than the sun. And he says, my companions and I, in verse 14, my companions and I, we all fell down, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. In other versions of the, the, the scripture, um, which which uh, we have different versions of the Bible. Um, I, I believe they're they're all, they're all inspired by God. They're all. Uh, could, could we use the word synoptic in this situation? Um, uh, so they, they they might be. So they're the same same scripture, but they're put in, in different words. The NIV um, says it is uh, it, it it is useless. So it is hard to kick against the goats. Hard to kick against the ghost. Do we have that scripture? Yeah, there we go. Hard for you to kick. Like, so, like I said, I like all translations. Um, I, I studied them all. And, but, but the NLT, I love the NLT because I can read it and I don't get distracted. Uh, this is the NIV, and so I read the NIV, and it's hard for you to kick against the goats. And I automatically think, what is a goad? And my mind goes, I get, to, I get distracted goes to places like, it must be an animal you're kicking against. It must be like a goat mixed with a toad. And then you've got a furry animal with legs and horns and it's jumping in the water and using that toad to catch flies. And, and so you get drawn off. You know, I get sidetracked. And it's kind of neat to learn these old words, though. Uh, goats. Uh, turns out what this is, is this is a, a common uh, a parable, if you will, uh, a common proverb of the time, particularly prevalent among the Greeks and the Romans, um, and using this would have hit a responsive chord with them. Oh, he's speaking our language. Jesus says, or Paul says, uh, we all fell down, and he spoke to me in Aramaic, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goat. It's useless to fight against my will. Useless. How many of us have fought against the will of Jesus? Yeah, I know I have. I know that that's, that's been my past a little bit. Uh, when, I, when I was in college <clears throat> at Pitt State, working on my undergrad, <clears throat> I felt I felt felt called to uh, be a pastor, not just part time like I was, but full time and full full time ministry. But I didn't submit to that. Didn't I? Didn't do that. I kind of said, well, I'll I'll do it a little bit. I'll do it part time. Some sometimes a couple times a year. Sometimes I did it every month. Uh, but I didn't follow what I felt God telling me to do. Kind of fought against that. So how many of us f f 
fought against the will of Jesus. Well, I believe that all of us have. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, it verifies that. It says, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Now, Paul uses this verse that we find in Romans. Um, he, he pulls it from the Old Test, Old Testament scripture, and it, it is pretty, pretty hardcore. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. It, it tells us that, look, fellas and ladies, we can try as hard as we want, but we're all going to trip up sometimes. We all have a need for Jesus, and uh, one, at one time or another, every one of us has fought against the will of Jesus. And we all can probably attest, it doesn't work. That's not how true life comes. And so sometimes, uh, you know, we, we fight against, against God saying, well, I'll do this, but, but, and then we don't do it all the way. And so, sometimes we out and, and want to just feel like we want to break free from God. Like God is this oppressor, and he provides a bunch of rules for us. And I want to break free from that. Psalm chapter 2 tells us oh, about that. And I'm just going to read the whole psalm to you. The second psalm, it's good, it's not long. It says, why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let us break the chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs, and the Lord scoffs at them. And then in anger he rebukes them, terrifying them with his fierce fury. For the Lord declares, I have placed my chosen king on the throne in Jerusalem, on my holy mountain. The king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, and today I have become your father. Only ask, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, the whole earth as your possession. You will break them with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Then, you kings, act wisely. Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry, and you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities. For his anger flares up in an instant. Let's not read the, the last part yet. His anger. Man, what do you think about that? Have you ever heard people just really get excited about God is love, God, God is not an angry God, um, or, or, or God should be a God of love? And, and then we read scriptures like this, and, and we see rulers uh, beware, uh, watch out what you're doing. You, you can make your plans, but... And then ruled with an iron rod and smashed like clay pots. Uh, submit to God.
become angry. It turns out uh, God is a God of righteous anger. It turns out God is not just a God of love, unless we can apply it to the situation of God doesn't want us to be controlled by sin. Because of that, he uses Jesus, which did you catch that in this this verse? Uh, the one uh, the one who rules in heaven uh, that comes from Jerusalem, he'll put his king there. Jesus. God uses Jesus through his anger to smash sin. It's useless for us to fight against God. We can get angry. We can have righteous anger. But if we're going to use that against God, it won't work. No one has ever beat God. That last verse says, But for what joy, but what joy for all who take refuge in Him. Now there's, there's love. The joy. Because... God can be a God of anger. Yes. But those of us who put our faith, our refuge, we seek in God, joy. We can have joy. As I said, no one has ever beat God. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This is just the very first of a whole bunch of fellows who tried to go up against God and failed. We read uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. You guys know the story. The Lord observed the extent of the human wickedness on earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, I will destroy every living thing. But Noah found favor with the Lord. So we know how it plays out. God destroyed every living thing, except for Noah and his family, because they sought refuge in Him. They considered it joy to believe in Him and to walk in His ways. Kings, uh, rulers, uh, Jews, uh, Gentiles, rich people, poor people. No one has ever beat God. Governments, complete governments get together and they go up against God. They fight against God. Have you seen that? Don't worry. They won't win. You say, yes, pastor. We know they won't win, but, but what happens to me? What happens to my family while that's going on? Well, we, we know that it, it may get rough. Anytime that the, 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 the large governing properties are fighting against God and, and we're living in, it may get rough for us here on earth, but hang on to Jesus and follow his lead, and I guarantee that it will work out for you in the end. Guaranteed. Speaking about in the end book of Revelation, 
chapter 17, verse 14, tells us about in the end. It says, together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because He is Lord of all lords and King of all kings, and His called and chosen and faithful ones will be with Him. This is what happens in the end. We'll be with Him. That's us. Because God is omniscient, we can't outsmart Him. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us about, <coughs> tells us that God knows everything about us and nothing is hidden from Him. Because God is omnipotent, we cannot overpower Him. Acts chapter 5, verse 38 and 39, um, tells us about when uh, Peter and the apostles were met with opposition. Uh, they were preaching the good news and getting Jesus' word out there. And the, the, the Jewish folks and the other folks, they didn't like that. And so they opposed it. But then a Pharisee named Gamaliel recognized that they couldn't fight against God. And here's what he said. He said, so my advice is, leave these men alone. Let them go. If they are planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourself fighting against God. And that was the case. It was from God. They were doing God's will. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1 verse 20 tells us that God created the universe and formed each one of us that are here today. Every person you've ever seen, every person who ever was, God created us. Because God is omnipresent, we cannot outrun Him. It's impossible. There is nowhere we can go to escape from God. Now, if you're a younger person, maybe you've seen that, that movie, um, Moan, or is it Moana? I think it's Moana. Anyway, I, I don't, I don't encourage the, the watching of that movie. It's kind of about some pagan gods, but it's, it's a cartoon-style movie. But anyway, there's a, uh, uh, the, the, the girl needs to go to a place to take the heart of Tapiti or, or something, and it's, and it's a rock, and I really don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, there's this one part of the movie where um, the girl has... Her, her, her boat, she goes to the island where the, the one dude who's big and strong and has the heart, and so they need or she needs him, and she wants to take him, and he's excited to have a boat because he's stuck on his island, so he gets on the boat and they paddle out, and, she, and they are out in the middle of the ocean, and he's like, okay now I'll get rid of her, and he throws her off the boat well, her and the, the ocean have some sort of thing together and so the ocean uh, picks her back up and puts her on the boat and he's like, that's kind of weird Throws her off again. There she is again. And he goes through that like five or six times until he's finally like, okay, I'm out. And he jumps off in the ocean himself. And she gets him back again. But I think that's a good explanation of 
good illustration of how it's useless to fight against God. Man, we can try. We can do thing after thing after thing until finally, ah, there's nothing else we can do. We just have to, in the first place, it would be so much easier if we just followed God's will, just listen to what he tells us. Listen, Paul tried this. Paul tried to go against God's will. Remember, he was persecuting the followers of Jesus. Persecuting with everything he had. And then he had the government <coughs> behind him. He had the, the, uh, the or he had the, the, the Jewish, uh, the, the church, or if you can call that a church. He had the Jews behind him. And he was persecuting the Christians to the best of his ability. And he was doing really well at it. And then Jesus told Paul that it was useless to fight against God's will. Useless. Oh, by the way, um, sometimes we wonder what it's like to hear the, the Lord's voice. What is it like to hear the Lord's voice? You know, some of us um, haven't heard the Lord's voice audibly and directly. Um, that, that's okay. That's, okay. That, that's actually how I most often hear from Him. You know, I hear from, uh, I hear from God through, through scriptures that I've read in the past or through the advice of, of wise people in my past that are speaking godly moral principles. Uh, when I was a teenager, I had, I, had a, uh, I had a car that my dad had given me, and, and I wanted to put a new tire on the rim, and so uh, I went outside to change tires on the rim, and um, I got the tire on, it was an old tire, got it on the rim, but when I was airing it up, uh, the bead wouldn't pop out. So you guys have done this, um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that, that there's a part of the rim that the bead has to pop over until so you air it up. And if you don't use dish soap or something slick, then sometimes it doesn't happen. And so, like 35 psi tire, and I was airing it up to like 65, 70 psi, and the bead still hasn't popped over. And 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 my my, my dad's uh, Holy Spirit speaking to me through my dad's voice, saying uh, I should you should use dish soap. No, that's what that's what makes that happen. And but but I didn't I didn't follow along. And 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 so finally I was beating on it with a hammer. You know, you beat on the sixty-five pounds of pressure with a hammer, so and and finally I picked it up and the words of my mom say in my mind, uh, you can't get anywhere with this kind of anger. So I threw that dude down and it bounced. <laughs> started going towards my car which is on the other side of the driveway and then I realized something bad was going to happen so I run after and I couldn't catch it and then it was too late it hit smashed into my white car put a big old dent in it and uh, a rubber skid mark on the side of my car uh, all because I didn't listen to those voices inside my mind of this Holy Spirit moving you know that that's he, he speaks to us that way and we sometimes uh, don't think that that's fighting against God's will but if we would just listen to the Holy Spirit listen to uh, what he has put in our minds then things would go so much easier but you know some of us do hear the Lord's voice audibly and in words some of us do hear those words and maybe you think well I, I, I've never heard God say hey John do this you know, and you think, maybe I'm not a good enough Christian. And that's why I don't hear God actually speaking to me in words. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that's the case. Uh, 
Check out Paul's situation. God, Jesus, spoke the scriptures as in Aramaic. Jesus is using Paul's language. Paul is not a Christian. Paul is going after the Jews, and Jesus speaks to him to get his attention. So maybe it's a good thing that God hasn't specifically got your attention by speaking English to you. Uh, it's a good thing anytime God speaks to you because you need to listen to what His Word says. Uh, verse 15, after He spoke to Paul in Aramaic, Paul says, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Who are you? This is a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Paul and the Lord. This is actually happening in actual words. Jesus says, now get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and a witness. Tell people that you have seen me and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. Interesting that it, uh, Jesus tells Paul, Hey, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes. You know how he got Paul's eyes opened to him? He blinded Paul. He blinded Paul and then made him go down the road and, and, uh, and, and then opened his eyes again. And he says, listen, Paul, this is, this is the case. I want you to open their eyes. Just like I opened your eyes, Paul, from darkness to light. So as Paul is giving this, this testimony of what Jesus told him, Festus, who is listening, basically says, okay, I know. Paul, you're crazy. Paul, what you are saying is insane. Too much study has made you crazy, is what Festus says. But Paul replies, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is a sober truth. And King Agrippa knows about these things. I speak boldly, for I'm sure these Events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner. He speaks directly to King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. See, King Agrippa is a, is a Jewish fella. He knows the, oh, the, the Torah, the Pentateuch. He has this Old Testament scripture in his upbringing. That is the foundation of our faith. The Old Testament all our scripture, Jesus, is built upon through the Old Testament. It leads to and points directly to a Savior in Jesus Christ. Paul knew that if Agrippa clung tightly to that, that he could see how Jesus fit in perfectly with it. Agrippa says, he interrupted him, says, Do you think that you can persuade me to become a Christian so quickly? Uh, yes. Paul says, whether quickly or not, verse 29, I pray to God that both you and everyone here in this audience 
might become the same as I am, except for these chains. I holds up his hands again. Except for these chains. Paul knows the truth. He knows the hope. And he is spiritually chain-free. Everyone around him, they're actually the ones that are in chains. He's got these physical chains on him. But he wants everyone to be as he is, free of the chains of sin that drag a person to hell. Without Jesus, we can't be free of them. And he wants everyone there that he's speaking to to be free. It's been a long journey for Paul. A long journey. At this point, he's been a Christian for probably 30 years. At this point, he is uh, about 55 to 60 years old. And Paul's in prison in chains. He has fought the will of God before. Before he was a Christian. And it was futile. It was a futile, senseless task. And then he committed himself to the Lord's will. Then, the journey really started. Testimonies. Prison. Shipwrecks. You know Paul was in like four, at least four shipwrecks? The next chapter, last chapter of Acts, chapter, uh, well, uh, 28, <clears throat> 27, 28, uh, talks about, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, it's about a shipwreck that Paul was in. And, uh, and, and we're going to get to that at some point, but uh, next Sunday we're going to have uh, Bare Shoeless Sunday, Bare Shoeless Sunday, and so we'll, we'll do a dedicated text then, and then after that we're going to start a series on marriages, and I, I'm not sure how shipwreck and uh, storms will go along with marriage, probably pretty easily, um, and, and so we'll do that actually, and, uh, but uh, Paul has been in shipwrecks, and he's been snake-bitten by poisonous snakes. Um, he started churches, and the churches he planted and started, uh, they started other churches, and then they started other churches, and, and until we wind up with Colony Christian Church got started, probably because of somebody back from Paul's time that Paul ministered to, and here we are. Here we are, uh, spreading the word of Jesus, learning about him. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, Pam listened to the Holy Spirit when um, he told her to choose this for our bulletin. I mean, we didn't know we were working together, but uh, it's, it's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses to the end of the earth, uh, everywhere. Telling about... Telling them, people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. This is the whole verse for Acts. It, it kind of uh, summarizes the whole book of Acts. You know, Acts is a book that doesn't have a set ending. It goes on. It lives on through our lives. We live out the history of the church. We are doing the history of the church right now and right here in Colony speaking about God's word. And we are to continue that everywhere. Take it everywhere. Going to all nations. And he says in Matthew chapter 28, don't worry, Jesus says. Go everywhere and I'm going with you. 
He wants us to remember that. So let's sum this all up. We have a choice. We can fight against God or we can submit to God. One is hopeless and leads to certain defeat. The other is full of hope and leads to certain victory. Each one of us gets to make this choice. Let us be sure that we choose wisely. When you stop fighting against the Lord's will, when you stop kicking at the goads, did I ever tell you what a goad is, actually? A goat is a sharp stick. Sorry about that. It's not, it's not the animal mixed between a toad and a goat. It's a sharp stick that a person driving an ox and pulling a plow would use to, to poke a uh, ox. When the one oxen is slowing down, you goad him on. You stick him so, or poke him a little bit so he goes. That's what a goad is. So when we stop fighting against the Lord's will, um, stop kicking, then... We're ready to do what he wants us to do. And that's when the greatest journey of your life begins. Speaking of the greatest journey, I think the kids are out there and they're ready to come up. Uh, let me pray and then we'll, we'll have them come up and we'll celebrate the greatest journey. Father God, I thank you now for uh, this message through Paul and Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would uh, guide us and and help these children that we're about to celebrate with uh, spread your word and spread the mission of the church where that you started. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.